act of restoring. And so it means to put back into use or service. To experience restoration means you're good to go back into your service. Restoration means to bring back into a form that's close to its original state, maybe even back to its original state. My grandfather was an auto mechanic for Ford Motor Company for 40 years, and in his retirement, him and my grandmother purchased a farm just outside of where I grew up in Houston. And because of his love for cars and his career, he had a shop there, a big, simple metal structure with all of his tools and a winch and all this cool stuff. And so one spring break, when I was in middle school, I spent the entire week with my grandfather restoring an old go-kart, a go-kart. Now, when you're a middle school boy, there's nothing cooler than driving around a go-kart, man. Like, this, this is like tip of the top, right? But this go-kart was so broken and so messed up, we actually found it through a newspaper ad because there was no Craigslist. We found it through a newspaper ad in a guy's scrap heap in an auto junkyard on the other side of where I grew up. So we found this junky thing, we drove it, we, caught, we hauled it in the back of the truck out to my grandfather's farm, and he and I spent a really cool week together restoring that thing. And it eventually started to run again, and we were able to drive it around, my brothers and I got into all kinds of trouble with it. It was restored. It was brought back to its original state. Maybe you've restored a vehicle, maybe you've restored a piece of furniture, maybe you've helped work on a home. There are ways for us to think about restoration that have to do with physical objects. There are also ways for us to think about restoration that are relational. If you've been through a period of brokenness in your marriage and you've experienced restoration and recovery, it is one of the sweetest gifts that you can receive. I believe we have caught glimpses of restoration in our worship and in our fellowship with Paradise Baptist Church, with our friendships with these congregations that have really shaped us over the years. What does restoration need to look like for you? Where are you longing for that? I don't think Job began his journey knowing that he needed to experience restoration. I don't think he had any idea. But I believe this is one of the most powerful stories for us to kind of wrap up today as we finish our sermon series in the book of Job. We need to see how Job experiences restoration. And the passage that Corey read for us alludes to so many different ways that he needs to be restored. He needs to be restored in his relationship with God, first and foremost. He needs to be restored in his relationship with his friends, and he needs to be restored and made whole from all the losses he has suffered. This is a glimpse of how our good and just God brings fullness and wholeness in God's timing into the lives of people he loves. And make no mistake, Job's restoration is something that God desires to do again and can do again in your life and in my life. And when we see headlines like we did this week around the conflict in Ukraine, which George and Megan led us so beautifully through a prayer around that, we long for those wrongs to be made right. And we long for restoration to come, and it can come even in the earliest days of a, of a conflict that just feels so complicated and so weighty, it can come. And the people of God are called to work toward that, certainly, but we're also called to hold on to this hope that one day there will be the restoration of all things. This has been promised since the earliest days of the church, that one day God will come, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will restore 
people, and he will restore our world. That's what we read in Revelation 21 at the very beginning of our service. And so today, I hope we'll take a look at Job's journey toward restoration. I hope in each of you, as it has in me, there will be this seed that is planted that stirs up in us a desire for restoration, to, to establish this pattern as a church that we don't just let things slide by, that we try to step in and advocate and be a part of the work that God is doing to restore our world. So we're going to go through an outline that looks like this. We're going to do a quick recap of Job's story. We're going to talk about Job's mea culpa, his, you know, I, I, I'm guilty moment. And then we're going to talk about restoration. So first, let's begin with Job's story. We meet Job at the beginning of the book of Job. This is like weeks and weeks ago. In Job chapter 1, he is introduced to us as a very good man. And we know he's a good man because there are blessings around him, and, you know, he has much. That's established. But here's what's interesting about the character of Job that the very beginning of the book tells us. Job was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil blameless, integrity, fears God. In other words, has a healthy respect of who God is. He avoids evil. These things are true throughout the book of Job. Job struggles. He scuffles. But this aspect of his identity, the suffering that he endures, can't take it away from him. After a crushing series of losses, Job now stands broken. He's lost everything. He's lost his business, his livestock. He was an agrarian, a farmer, so he lost everything. He lost his home. His children were wiped out. His health and his comfort was taken away from him. Any one of those things lands on you or it lands on me, we are in a total state of despair. And it all falls on Job. And then in Job chapter 2, his friends come to comfort him, and at first they do kind of well, but then they quickly go off the rails. We've used this painting as an image before, but this is Job sitting in the despair of his brokenness. And one friend is doing the right thing, sitting there on the ground with him, empathizing with him, carrying his burdens with him, and everybody else is getting it wrong. The body language, the way they're looking down on him, Job's wife behind him, just kind of in shock, can't believe what's happening. The rest of the book of Job, really from that chapter 2 all the way to chapter 37, is this back and forth between Job and his friends. And his friends are tearing down that character that was expressed in chapter 1, verse 1. They're saying, Job, you must be guilty of something. You must have done something wrong, bro. You You must have messed up along the way. Otherwise, why would God be doing this to you? You need to confess, and you need to, you need to come clean, and then all this will stop. And Job maintains again and again, no, 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 you don't see it. I'm innocent. He knows what's true. But to have people systematically assassinate your character over and over and over again, over time, you can only take so much. And these mistruths, half-truths that his friends are throwing at him, it starts to creep in there. There's cracks in his foundation. And Job starts to despair. And in his despair, he cries out to God. We saw this two weeks ago. And he basically insults God. He's irreverent toward God. He addresses God in such a way that doesn't show God the respect that God deserves. And so even though he's clinging to this truth, he comes at God in such a way where it's just not going to work like that. And so in, verse, in chapter 38, God speaks. And from 38 to 42, Job gets a dressing down from Almighty God. 
And I don't envy Job's position. God reads him the riot act. He rebukes him for his lack of respect and lack of faithfulness. And yet, what we learned in that study of those chapters was Job, God's desire is not to just pound Job into the dust. No, that's already happened. God's desire for Job is to elevate this reality for him, which is that he has fallen in love with something greater than God, something he has made greater than God, and that is answers. He wants to know why he suffered. If you've ever been in the midst of suffering, you can relate to this. You want to know why. You want to understand why. If only I could understand why, I'd be able to get through this. We tell ourselves this. And God calls Job out. He says, Job, you want answers more than you want me. And anything that we want more than God has become an idol, and it will only chew us up and spit us out. So Job needs restoration at this point in his journey. He needs to be reconciled to and needs to experience resolution with his circumstances, that he has lost so much that needs to be made right. His friends, he needs restoration with them. And most of all, he needs restoration with God. And maybe you can relate to one of those things. Maybe you feel like your circumstances, especially in the pandemic, have just gone from bad to worse. I know many of you are walking through grief and loss and sorrow right now, and you feel like, man, I just, I need God to kind of put some of these pieces back together for me. Maybe you've experienced brokenness in relationship around any of the things that have become so toxic in our highly politicized age. I don't think anyone has been immune from the sufferings of the last couple of years. And yet, I believe this was true in Job's life, and I believe it's true in our lives too. God is not doing this without a purpose in mind. God is not bringing about suffering just to watch us sort of scramble and scuffle. No, he is looking to form your character and my character as he did for Job. He's looking to create a people who are resilient and faithful. We shared that line from the Screwtape Letters a few weeks ago, and I'll paraphrase it here, but there is nothing more terrifying to the enemy than people who will stay faithful in suffering. When you have stayed faithful in your suffering, church, you have sent the enemy running for the hills. There is nothing more powerful as a weapon against the enemy than staying faithful in your suffering. And that is what we have seen Job do. Not perfectly, not at all, but faithful. And so when he comes to his mea culpa, which is just a Latin phrase saying, my fault, I did it, an acknowledgement of one's fault or error, what does he acknowledge? He acknowledges two different things, actually. And this is an important pattern for us. I, I, I really hope that when we do our prayers of confession, when we take this step together in worship, this is part of what we do every single week. We acknowledge who God is, and we acknowledge how far short we have fallen from him. You acknowledge who God is, and you acknowledge how far short you have fallen. Take a look with me at Job chapter 42. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 really briefly. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. This is a two-part admission, right? I know that you can do anything. We should never say that of anyone else but God. Only God has the omnipotent power, the power that is unmatched to do anything in the world. And this is part of when God sort of rebukes Job. He says to him, oh, you were there when I created the waters. You were there when I exercised control over creation. Okay, you understand. No, Job, you don't understand. And Job has to confess this. 
And the second part is so true as well. No one can stop you. Have we not learned, church, throughout COVID, throughout the racial unrest and injustice that has been surfaced in the last couple years, have we not learned through all the political upheaval how powerless we are? How utterly powerless we are? Yes, it's important for us to keep each other safe and wear masks and do all these things, but if you actually think you can fully protect yourself and your family from this disease, I'm sorry, you can't. We don't have that kind of power. We don't. But we have told ourselves that we have, and it has become an idolatry. Safety, security, I'm all for it, but if it takes the place of the power of Almighty God, we're in trouble. We need to begin with who God is before we can fully reflect on who we are. And Job models this for us. When he says, I'm sorry, God, he starts with who God is. And then in verses 3 through 6, we see him talk about how much he has missed the mark. This is a beautiful picture of confession. And this is so important as we talk about restoration. These steps need to happen for our hearts to be ready for the restoration that God desires to bring. In verse 3, Job says this, I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. God, I was trying to tell you what to do. How? I don't know what I was thinking. I am so sorry. He has heard God's rebuke. It has landed in his heart. Have you finally heard something from God during this time? During this sermon series, during the last couple of months, have you been, God's been trying to tell you something and just kind of trying to get it through your thick skull and it's just not happening? Believe me, that has been true in my life. This is what's happening to Job. It's finally starting to break through for him. And then in verses five and six, he says just a wonderful confession. He says this, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Okay, just take that for a moment who God is, and the reality of his personal, deep affection for Job. That's what he's talking about there. God, I'd heard about you. I'd, you know, someone had told me about you. I'd heard about this faith in you. I kind of thought it was a good idea, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. In other words, I have actually borne witness to how good you are to me. I get it now. God, you're no longer an idea. You're real to me. That's a tremendous step in anybody's journey of faith. I long for that step for my children someday. I'd love for them to go as I had to go, as many of you had to go. Wow, these stories that I've learned, this canon, the scriptures, the knowledge of God, it's not just a bunch of ideas, it's real. Who Jesus is, it's real. I I hunger for that for all of our children. But if I'm being honest, I need to do that all the time. I need to stop making God an idea. I need to start saying like, Lord, You're real in my life, and it is costly for me to follow you. And it's costly for me to admit how short I have fallen of you. God, for Job, God has moved from an idea to a reality. Has that happened for you? Have you experienced that? Would you ask God for that? He will supply it, but it will not be like you expect. Job is entering into a new phase of his relationship with God. He says this, I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. This harkens all the way back to Job chapter 2, 
when he's first in the middle of his grief, when he's first wrecked by the devastation, he, in a traditional ancient Near Eastern way, he puts on sackcloth, he puts on a, literally a rag, and he puts dust on himself to show, as we will show on Ash Wednesday, from dust we have come and to dust we shall return. It is a mark of our mortality. Why is all this important? Here's the big idea. If you want restoration in your life, if you want it in our world, if you want it for Ukraine, if you want it for Afghanistan, if you want it for racial reconciliation, restoration begins in the heart. Restoration begins in the heart. What do I mean by that? We need the whole book of Job to properly understand what is happening here at the end. Corey read the passage, the beautiful images of, of Job's life literally coming back to him, right? He gets back his wealth. He gets more than what he had before. He gets his children back more than what he had before. It kind of seems like God has backed up a dump truck full of cash and stuff and just dumped it into Job's front yard, right? God's restoration is not primarily the material wealth. If that's what you've focused on, or maybe you've heard this taught on in some other churches, the prosperity gospel, all of which is just total hooey, that's not what's happening here. Because what happened first? Before verses 10 through 17, look at your scriptures, church. Verses 1 through 9 had to happen. And Job's heart is at the very center of that. He says to God, I repent. I was wrong. That's not a heart that is obstinate to God's movement in his life. It is a heart that is willing to be changed. Is your heart willing to be changed? Do you have a stubborn heart like I do? Anybody else want to have a stubborn heart support group? Like, this is hard. But Job models for us the revealing of God's will for restoration in him by saying, I was wrong. I was so wrong. And then we didn't read this, but in verses 7 through 9, God addresses Job's friends, and oh, they're in trouble. <laughs> they are in trouble because they, like Job, have spoken dishonorably of God. They have myth misrepresented the character of God. And guess who intercedes on their behalf? Job does. He models the words that Jesus would say centuries later, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God says to Job, hey, your friends... They can be restored. You can have a restored relationship with them, but you got to pray for them. And Job, because he's experienced this heart change, he says, okay. And this isn't A plus B equals C. This is not, well, you know, Job had his heart worked on, then he prayed for his friends, and then, you know, the magic box unlocked, and here came all of God's blessings. No, 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 no. The journey of restoration that begins in the heart will look different for every single person in this room and every one of you joining us online. How has God most worked on your heart, done a work in you, gotten into your foundation and turned things around and, and then this over here had to change and you needed new plumbing and new wiring over there and then the garage door broke? Like, how many times has God done this so faithfully for us, church? And how many times have we fought him? I know I have. And yet I believe this. God's desire is not just to restore my heart and your heart from all the brokenness that we've been through for the last couple of years. It is that, but it is more than that. 
The whole arc of Scripture is pointing toward this reality that Revelation 21 illustrated so beautifully, the renewal of all things. If you want an image for that, picture Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where a man and a woman in a garden know their God and love their God and worship their God. And it's perfect. And things have not been broken yet. And divorces haven't happened yet. And cancer hasn't happened yet. And racism hasn't happened yet. That's the restoration of all things. Not, we're going to get back to those days. No, there's going to be a new day, a new version of that. And that is the new city, the holy city, the place where God's kingdom is real. This is actually embedded in the heart of the church. If you look at the book of Acts, Peter gives a speech in Acts chapter 3, and he talks about it then at the church's birth, that we are called to be a part of this restoration, revelation of all things. The very heart of the church's hopes and dreams are around this reality. And it's, it's too big to comprehend, honestly. But where I want us to think about it, church, where I want us to kind of hold this is in our hearts and the restoration that God is bringing even through pain into your hearts and mine. How easy is it when we experience pain to go, ah, that's just bad. I, I don't want to do that anymore. How easy is it when we get into a conflict with someone, do we just go, man, I, I just want to get away from that. Nothing good can come from that, right? I am increasingly convicted that every step Jesus has taken me on, every step, even the hardest, most painful steps, has been so that I will better receive his restoration when it comes, so that my heart is in a different place than it was before. Don't you think that the Job who we met at the beginning of this series is a little bit different than the Job who we meet at the end? Don't you think that this suffering and this pain and this foment and these dialogues, don't you think it has changed him and made him hungrier for the mercy of God and more willing to say, yeah, you know what, God, you're right. My friends, they were terrible to me, but I want to seek restoration with them. You're telling me to do it. It must be the right thing to do, so I'm going to go do it. He doesn't fight God anymore. He just says, yes. We live in a world that is so filled with brokenness and so cynical. Megan and George touched on this beautifully earlier, but if you're looking at the crisis unfolding in Ukraine and you think to yourself, like I did this week, oh my gosh, one more thing. I would encourage you to think of it as bigger than that. Because one more thing is about me. It's not about people who are suffering. It's not about innocent children having to be forced to run from their homes. And when we think about it, not just in terms of me and how inconvenient it is to read another negative headline, when we think about it in terms of that is a place where God desires restoration now. Now. It will change how we interact with these stories, all of which are terrible. It'll change how we interact with the things I mentioned earlier, cancer and divorce and the pain and the struggle that is just part of ordinary life. God, are you doing something to renew me in this? Are you doing something to bring restoration in me through this suffering, 
through my children struggling, through my marriage struggling, through my business getting ignored? Are you doing something in me? What would it take for us to be the kind of church that asks that question sincerely? Church, what is coming is more glorious than anything that came before. The restoration that Job experiences isn't just he got back all his stuff. It's more than that. It's a whole community. It's his friends. It's the people, the neighbors that came, like Corey highlighted, that had a meal with him and experienced renewed fellowship together. If you're thinking about restoration just in terms of one relationship or two relationships, that's good. Think bigger. Think the whole world falling under the rule and reign of Jesus in the most perfect way. That's what's coming. So before we take time to discuss this in our breakout groups, I want us to have a little bit of time just to be silent, reflect on the story of Job, reflect on a scripture together, And I really hope this time is just instrumental for your heart as it's been for mine. Job's heart needed to change to receive the restoration that God had for him. And I believe God wants our hearts to receive restoration too. And we need time to kind of get our arms around this. If you long for the restoration of Jesus in your life with friends, with family members, with neighbors, then you're not going to trip and fall into it. You need to invite it into your life. So we will have time to discuss in just a little while, but before we do, I want to invite you just to ponder with me the discussion question that's in your bulletin, and it's just simply this. Where do you desire restoration in your life? Where do you want it? Let's take a moment and just be silent and reflect on that, and then I'll guide us through some prayer and some scripture. Lord, we offer to you our thoughts in this time of silence. We have all kinds of ideas around restoration in our lives or restoration in our world. We long for this for the people of Ukraine. We long for this for every part of our world that is touched by brokenness and death. But in this silence which we offer to you, Lord, would you paint a picture for us, your dreams, your visions for restoration? We offer this silent time to you.
Friends, as we continue in a posture of prayer, I invite you to share these words with me from the Psalms, Psalm 46. These words will be up on the screen. I will read the first section, and then I would ask you to join me in reading the underlined sections. You may just listen to this, if that would be more helpful to you, but I encourage you to use this tool, these words, to stir up your imagination for the restoration that God desires for our world. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations that he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Say it again, church. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's continue in silence. Lord, as we have heard your word, as we have spoken it together, would you stir up in each of us an imagination for your restoration of our world? We long for it. You alone know the best way to bring that about in each of our lives. So may it be so. We ask in Jesus' name.